I guess we'll get started here. The, uh, there's maybe some folks still coming in from lunch. My name is Ryan Thompson. Make sure you're in the right session. You always want to make sure you're at the right spot. This is beginning a new pastorate. So if you're not expecting that, I think, R.R., did I see that you just went to a session at 1130 um, on secrets to church growth? Was that you? R.R. said he went over to that session. He saw secrets to church growth. He was excited to learn those only to find out that session was in Korean. And uh, he wasn't going <laughs> to. So sometimes you find yourself in the wrong classroom. So if this is not the session you're wanting to be in, feel free to head on out. That's not going to offend me. And uh, just to let you a little bit know, a little bit know what this session is. And again, really, if you if there's another session that you're wanting to go to after I kind of explain a little bit what we're doing, not going to offend me at all. You feel free to slide out. This is not a church planning session. Um, maybe there would be some applicable things to somebody that's wanting to plant a church. I've not planted a church, so I'm not going to give you experience that I don't have. This session is, is going to be based on experience that I have. This is also not really a preaching message. We're not going to break down a passage. We're going to look at a couple of verses, but I'm not going to break down a passage. Really, really what today's session is, is just some simple, practical helps and tips and thoughts that I've learned over the last almost two years as God's transitioned our family into a new ministry position and uh, taken over a church. And so as I go through, again, a couple of disclaimers, I don't have all the answers. The things that I give you today are not scriptural mandates necessarily. They're going to be just very, very simple, practical thoughts, tools, tips, ideas. I've already been talking to a couple of men here this afternoon that have just kind of gone to a new church in the last few months or the last couple of years. And I'm hearing what God's doing there. I said, you should be teaching this session, not me. We, I just, I'm going to give you a few thoughts and throw out some things that might be a, a help to you. Uh, one thing that I challenge myself when I come to a conference like this, if you're not careful, you get idea overload. You get 50 ideas, and I've got to do that and do this, and, and I'm going to change everything. And you go home and you change nothing because it's so overwhelming. For me, if you go home and take two, three, four ideas and implement those, this conference will be a success. The reality is we're probably not going to implement 50 different things into our ministry over the next week or two. How many of you have been to a conference like this? You have notebooks full of awesome notes and didn't do anything with it, right? I've been there. And so uh, hopefully from this session, there'll be one, two, maybe three things that you can glean that'll be a help to you. And I'll, I'll do my best to give some time at the end. Uh, for questions and answers. If there's a question you might have or and you ask the question and maybe somebody else in the room has another thought, and I'm open to that as well. Um, but, uh, but, but hopefully something that will be a help to you as we seek to serve in the church. It's not always easy serving in the church. Is and I heard about the couple that they were in the habit. They would go to church every Sunday morning. And uh, one Sunday, the wife was getting up and she didn't see her husband getting up as normal. And he wasn't, she was getting ready for church and he wasn't. She kind of peeked in. He was still in bed. And eventually she kind of closed the door. I thought, well, I'll give him a little bit longer. And it was getting a little too late, a little too close to time to start. And she came and knocked on the door, said, honey, you got to get up and go to church. He said, I'm not going to church today. And she said, babe, you got to go to church. He said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, why not? He said, I'll give you two reasons why not. One, those people don't like me. And two, I don't like those people. And she said, well, honey, I'm going to give you one reason why you need to go to church. You're the pastor. And, and sometimes it can feel that way if we're not careful. It's not always easy. And I don't know everybody's situation about the pastorate that you've entered or uh, where God has you and where you're serving. But I want to give us a few thoughts about um, what it is that we're going to be doing. And if you'll turn, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look real quickly just at Titus chapter number 1. 
The thoughts that we give today, I'm not going to spend a lot of time when you're beginning a new pastorate. Of course, we understand the calling of God. We ought to have the calling of God in our lives, the power of God as a necessity, knowing, being in God's Word and growing in those areas. I'm going to take that as kind of a given that we understand the need for those and today just try to give some practical uh, equipping thoughts and ideas today. But Titus chapter number 1, this here we see Paul writing to Titus and he's talking to him about new spiritual leaders that are going to be overseeing the church of God. I guess you could kind of say some that might be beginning in a new pastorate. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4, Paul says to Titus, Mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. He says we need to take a look at the need for spiritual oversight of the church, the body of Christ, the people of God there in that city. And then he gives some of the characteristics of a bishop. He says in verse number 7, and these are going to be new, new spiritual leaders, if you will, in this church. He says you need to be appointing these folks. And verse number 7, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And, and uh, we'll take a look at a couple of those characteristics, but I would challenge you, really, the, the entire book of Titus, and there are other good passages, but a great passage here in Titus chapter 1 for those that are new into a new area of spiritual leadership or oversight, a great passage to study and, and much to glean from that passage there. And we'll take a look at a little bit about that, but some of those thoughts. But again, this session, a little less on the... Uh, scriptural, if you will, the expositional, if you will, and a little more on the practical side, but just some thoughts. Who am I? Um, a little bit about myself is to understand where I'm coming from. I've been married for 17 years. Um, God's blessed my wife Tiffany and I with five children. I'm a first generation Christian. I was reached, raised by a single mom in Northern California. And uh, that church, my, my father-in-law has been the pastor of that same church for 41 years. And it was that church that had a big outreach day. And as a nine-year-old boy, my mom's co-worker invited her to bring me to church. And I came, and that Sunday morning, I was saved. Uh, now, about two weeks ago, that's 29 years ago, trusted Christ as Savior. Grew up in the church, and, and uh, my mom and I, my mom's still a member of that church. I, my grandma is there as well. Before we moved, we had four generations there. And, uh, and, and uh, went to Bible college, graduated, and then after Bible college, went on staff there at my home church and served for about 15 years as the administrative pastor and helped to oversee a, a, and see the ministry there and, and a school and different ministries, a, a dynamic ministry with a, a lot going on there. And God allowed me to serve in that capacity. And uh, my wife and I, our entire immediate family, everybody, my whole life was in a one mile radius. And about two years ago, God began to unsettle the nest. And about two years ago, God began to direct and to lead and to open the door and God opened the door for us to come down to Orange County, Newport Beach, California, uh, Liberty Baptist Church. And uh, that church has, will celebrate next month, 41 years of ministry. 
And I, I replaced, some of you would know the pastor that I replaced, a man that God's greatly used, his name is Dwight Tomlinson. He had been, uh, he was a church planner, planted three churches, two in Northern California, one in Hong Kong, and then after that um, came to Liberty and served there for 25 years and two weeks. And, uh, and so that's the church that I came to. God had blessed a good-sized church, uh, uh, had a school ministry and some other things. And, and, uh, and they were not trying to get rid of their pastor. There, it wasn't a negative situation. And that church really didn't know me. Uh, I knew maybe three or four or five families there, but, but I was kind of unknown to that church. And, but God kind of began to open, not kind of, God began to open the doors and to direct. And so um, two years ago this August, our family moved down to Southern California. And, uh, and then uh, two years ago, a month later in September, uh, the church voted on, uh, on me. And so now we've been in this season of transition and we've done some things. I think, well, we've, done, we've made some mistakes and learned some things. And, and so today I'm just going to share some of the thoughts. Really much of what I'm going to share with you this afternoon is uh, their items. I began to pray and, and think a few months ago when I got the word that they'd like me to teach this session. And I, I began to jot some notes and thoughts down. And then I came to a staff meeting on a Monday morning and I just asked our staff. I said, I'm supposed to teach a session on beginning a new pastorate. Talk to me honestly. What went well in the transition and what didn't go well? What were the things that God used? You were here before me. Most of the staff was there before I was. And uh, you knew Pastor Tomlinson. You knew the transition. And what, what do we do right? And what do we do wrong? And so a lot of what we're going to talk about, some of it's what God laid on my heart as I came. And then others are, are things that the staff pointed out to me. But I want to give you, in your, if you didn't get an outline, did everybody get an outline if you need one? My friend here, the host, has those if we need it. Number one, the first blank there is just the word no. When I came... I had really two words that kind of drove my focus and my vision for what I was seeking to do. And what I mean by that word no was I came and one of my number one priorities was getting, this sounds so basic and simple and elementary, but getting to know the people and letting them get to know me. I wanted to focus, I, they needed to get, before we were going to set the world on fire, we had to build relationships. They had to get to know my heart. I had to get to know theirs. And, and, and so... And we see that here even in this passage with Titus. What does it say about if we're going to appoint some of these elders a bishop, what does he need to be? A lover of hospitality, a heart to build relationships. And I would challenge you, sometimes we can focus on the programs, we can focus on, on how does everything look, we can focus on good graphics and good tracks and good banners. But at the heart of the matter, as a pastor, we're a shepherd of lives. And it's, we have to build a heart-level relationship with these people, and that takes time. You have to get to know them. They have to get to know you. And, and uh, underneath that, learn, and again, very simple, but learn the names. If you're going into a new place, I, spent every, I still spend time every week, but I spent time every week. I had a photo directory, and I would sit there and pray over those, and I would write the, the names down of those that were coming. Sounds very simple, but maybe some of you aren't great with names, but if you'll work on that, it's amazing the impact that will make on people. I remember the first Sunday I was there, I preached one Sunday, and the next Sunday I came, there was a, a lady and her daughter walking by me. I don't think we had even met in person, but I had been praying over that directory. And she walked by, and I said, good morning, Diana, good morning, Lauren. And I wasn't trying to impress them. I was just trying to use names. I'm trying to get to know people. And they said, oh, hello, Pastor Thompson. And they kept walking, and I watched, and they looked at each other. How did he know her name? He, and, and you could tell there was a, that that made an impact on them when you get to know people and, and, and getting to know. And so one of the, the first things is, of course, learning their names and working on that. Um, secondly, something that I did when, when I first got there the first week, I began a weekly email. 
I got this idea from a blog post or something, but I, I, it's been a great way for me to stay connected. And uh, now I send it to maybe uh, seven or 800 email addresses a week. And sometimes it'll be a short joke. Sometimes it'll be an upcoming event. Sometimes it'll be something that I got from, from my Bible reading. Sometimes it'll be rejoicing over a recent event in the church. Sometimes it'll be an article that somebody else wrote on parenting or a news clipping or whatever. I try to keep it short and interesting. I don't spam their inbox, but just try to send something out once a week. But what's happening there, Very almost every week, probably every week, I get multiple responses. And now I'm able to, and now I've just come into their week. They're getting to hear my heart on an area. They're getting, it's just another way to communicate. And that's been, for me, something that I thought was uh, very helpful. Um, handwritten birthday cards. I And, and, and uh, I began, I had this have the secretary give me every week those that are having a birthday and and jot a note there with getting to know them and all of these little things I think add up to them okay he's not just coming here to impress me from the pulpit he's taking time out of his week text messages emails all of those types of things but getting to know them I would encourage you to have different groups to your home or take them out to eat if your home is in a situation where that would work based on where you're living or whatever. But having groups, and we began to have people into our home uh, very quickly and uh, taking folks out to eat almost every week after a service and meeting folks for coffee, making personal visits. And, and again, I realized when I, when I went through my notes, none of this is revolutionary. All of this is extremely basic. But for us, I think these very, very simple things were at the heart of a smooth transition with a church that had been around for 40 years and a pastor coming in that didn't know anything, making a real effort to get to know them, letting them get to know our family and building a relationship. I had a pastor that told me when I first, I said he had gone to a church, been there about 10 years. I said, I'm getting ready to move. It was in Northern California, getting ready to move to Southern California. What advice would you give me? What did you learn from he took over a pastor of another church up in Washington? He said, one thing I didn't do that I wish I would have, I wish I would have gotten into all of the members, as many of the members' homes as I could early on and started with those that had been in the church the longest. It was great wisdom. I went there. We have one family that's a charter member still in the church. I went to their home. My, one of our assistant pastors, Brother Doug, is back here. He's been in our church about 16 years. Pastor Tomlinson told me they would come about every maybe once or twice a month. They'd kind of gotten a little hit and miss in the church and, and the things that happened in their family. I tried to connect. I began, who's been here in the church the longest? I began to try to connect with personal visits. And, uh, and that, that family now, it's, it's rare that they would miss a Sunday morning or a Sunday night service. And I, that's not to my test, but I think they, the new pastor came and, 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 and they can feel like I'm going to get forgotten. I've been in this church for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, but getting into the, and I thought that was great advice that that pastor gave me. He said, I wish I would have done starting with those that have been the church the longest getting in their homes. The second thing, not only no, but the second focus, the second priority that I had when I came was to grow. And what do I mean by that? Talking about feeding them spiritually. I wanted God's people, and I think every pastor wants this, but sometimes the busyness of our schedules drown out this priority. What I mean by this, I'm talking really about the pulpit ministry. So know the personal ministry, that personal touch, but to grow the pulpit ministry. Verse number nine tells us in Titus chapter one, he tells them bishops holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince 
the gainsayers. What did he say? You need to make sure you have a strong, if you will, pulpit ministry that, that people are being fed. People are growing under your leadership. People are growing from your preaching. Spend time in your study. I just heard Pastor Edwards, who's pastored the same church for 37 years, talk about the busyness of, of being a pastor can drown that time out. But what we have to understand if, if you preach for 30 minutes or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, those 30 or 40 minutes are the greatest single opportunity you have to impact the most lives and to feed and them to get to know you and your heart. Don't make that an afterthought. Okay, I've got to do all this and that. We've got to make sure that everything's cleaned and I want our buildings clean. Uh, we've got to do all, all those things. And Saturday night, I'm going to go online and find something real quick and, and come to you know, a conference. And you know, Dr. Sis, there's like 12 different messages in that one thing he gave us, right? Every one of those points had an outline. I'll just find one of those from that conference and, and put it together in 30 minutes or an hour on a Saturday night. That, that, that had to be, a, for me, get to know the people beyond any program, beyond get to know the people and them be growing through. I need to be growing for, through my study and in turn them growing in their pulpit ministry. And don't neglect the preparation. Work on a preaching calendar and, and where are you headed for the year, your Sunday morning services. If you have Sunday evening or a midweek service, what are you going to be doing with those things? Number three. The third word, they're not all going to rhyme, but these first three do. The third one, beginning in a new pastorate, number three, I would give you the word slow. What do I mean by that? Go slow in adding things. Go slow in, subtract, in subtracting things. Go slow in changing things. Now, that being said, every situation is different. If you're coming into a place that's extremely toxic and unhealthy, and there's been, I, I didn't come into that. If you're coming to a place where, where there's, uh, there's, you know, all the, you might have to go quickly in, in adding or subtracting or changing some things. But generally speaking, people are going to be a little bit on edge. They're going to be a little bit defensive when a new leader comes into the church. Are they, is he going to ruin everything we've known and, and held dear? How's it, is it going to be, what's it going to be like? All the stuff that we believe, is he going to, if you're younger, is he, they might be worried. Is he going to take us in some weird direction? If you're, if you're older, they might be worried. Is he going to care about my young children? They have all, people will get all these things in their mind. And that's why for me, I focused on, and, I, and that was advice that was given to me by, by men that had much more uh, season and experience than me. But when I came, I, I let the people know, and I, I shared vision, but I let the people know, I'm, I'm not coming here to fix Liberty Baptist Church. I gave them the illustration before I came. Somebody asked me, they said, uh, they said, what do you, when you get there, what's the first thing you're going to fix? And I told the person, I'm not going to fix anything. The church is not broken. Now, there's no perfect church, but it was a good church doing a good work. And by the way, it wasn't exactly the same as far as you would say personality or flavor than the home church that I grew up with. There were differences. Every church has a different personality and a different flavor. And if I would have come in and said, well, this is what I'm used to, and we always have the offering here in this part of the service, and we always sing this song to end the service, and here's, and if I would have come in and tried to make that church what I had been, I'd only been in one church for 27 years. There, there would have been all of a sudden, there, there, it would have, I think it would have been very unwise. But we, we came in and there was a, a man, he's a missionary now, he's been a staff member for many years. He's been in ministry about 30 years. I believe, I, I know that Lancaster supports him and, and has been here in the missions conference, a great man. And I sat down at lunch. He knew my home church. He knew Liberty. Both churches supported him. And I, I talked to him and I said his name and I said, now you know where I come from and you know where I'm going and you know some of the, what I would call personality differences of the church. 
What are the important things that I need to fight for or fight against? What are the things that I need to change? And here's what he said. He said, Brother Ryan, I'd, be very, I'd go very slow in changing anything there. There's a lot of good people that you're going to hurt if you come in there and try to revolutionize what they're doing. And it was great wisdom for a, a young pastor that, that I've been in ministry 17 years but had never been the senior pastor anywhere. A letter D underneath that, I would say, find the balance of casting vision while maintaining stability and familiarity. Find the balance of casting vision. People can and will accept change if it's handled wisely and if it's done for the right reasons. But I would just challenge you, don't come in threatening everything that they have known as a church. I'm this new guy with all these great ideas. We're going to change everything. You're excited about it. And they're thinking, we love this church. We love everything about it. And, and I'm not saying don't change it. I'm saying be wise and go slow in the thing. Every church has things that can and should change. Every church has deficiencies and weaknesses and, and has areas where it could be strengthened or tightened up or, or, or a stronger this or that or whatever it might be, but go slow in those areas. I would say, letter E, learn the church and the area. Especially if you're coming, some of you, some you might be very familiar with the church. For me, I was coming to a new area and a new church. I needed to learn that area. As Dr. Six said, principles are few, uh, he said th those things are, are vital, but the truth of the matter is ministering in, you're from Missouri, Pastor, ministering in Missouri is different than ministering in Southern California. Now, we're preaching the same gospel, but there's, our churches are going to look and feel a little bit different. It's going to be different in different contexts, and I appreciate what Pastor Chapel said last night. Over-contextualization will lead us to a worldly church, but under-contextualization -contextual will lead us to a church that doesn't make any sense to people. And so you've got to learn that church and learn that area. For me, the first 18 months, the first three months, I didn't really do anything. I just learned the church. The first year, we ran the same calendar. By the second year, after I had learned it and got to know the people and focused on my pulpit ministry and my personal ministry, we began then to implement some different vision and things. For me, again, the mindset was to learn the ministry, not necessarily to fix the ministry. I needed to integrate into their ministry calendar and rhythm, not force my ministry rhythm on them and and may I say this what I learned and, and another pastor told me this the first week or two I was in Orange County I got there in August this pastor came and spoke at our staff orientation he's a graduate of West Coast and he's I sat in the car outside of my house for about two hours and we talked about things I said give me some counsel give me some wisdom and he said Ryan I'd be careful about changing some of that wait a while because you might find out in a few months, you don't, the stuff you think you want to change right now, you don't want to change. You might find out that's what works well in this sit setting, in this church, in this area. And I'm thankful for that. You might find out some of the things when you get there just because it's not what you're used to, you, you look back and say, you know what, I kind of like it better the way this church does it. Now, at first, I wasn't used to it. There's, there's something, a small thing that I was thinking about this Sunday. I brought it up to our music guy the first week I was there. I asked, why do we do it this way? And I'd never seen it done that way. And, and I told him, it's kind of weird to me. And I was thinking about it this Sunday. I like it better the way that we do it. I think that it gets the message out to the people in a better way. I like the way, I'm glad I didn't come in. We've got to change this. I was still learning the church, learning the people, learning the area. Number four, number four, embrace existing leadership. He says there in verse number eight, to be a lover of good men. 
I don't know that that's necessarily talking about existing leadership, but, but that, that idea, everybody that is in leadership, whether it be staff or lay people, they're going to be a little on edge. Invest in them. Take time with them. Very quickly, we had the whole staff over for a barbecue at our home. I wanted them to see we're normal people that uh, we, we went very quickly. We went with our pastoral staff. I found out that you could go to a taping of The Price is Right. And we, we went over, we took a day. And some of you might think that's, that's not good to do, but we had fun anyways. And one of our staff guys won a bunch of money, so he's, he's glad that I took him. But uh, we, and because of it, we went back, and another staff guy won a bunch of money too. So they're very glad that we went. But I was just looking for something, kind of a team-building thing, kind of something to do to spend some time outside of work and ministry to just build some relationships with them, embrace the existing leadership. Everybody's going to be a little bit on edge. And let them know there's one staff member, there was a situation that was being dealt with when I got there. And, and, and there was a church member that was pretty upset about some things. And I met that church member, invited us over. Isn't it interesting? They wanted us to come over and have a meal with them. And they had an agenda about some things that were happening in the church. And they wanted to get to know the new pastor to kind of try to get us on board with their agenda. Well, Pastor Tomlinson had guided me through that and let me know what was going on. So I knew where I was headed. And I went there and I talked to the staff member before I went. And I came back and let the staff member know what had happened there and what I had said. And that staff member's wife told my wife and said, we knew that we could stay and serve with you when we knew you had our backs. And, and, and you had embraced us. And by the way, the one that had the agenda, I'm not against them, they very quickly were, left the church and are no longer there anymore. They're one of only just a couple of families that left through the transition. And I'm not against them, but, but it would have been very different if I was trying to embrace that existing leadership, the deacons, the staff, if there are staff at that church, the, the lay people, and uh, letter A, learn who the leaders are. It may not be the ones that have the title of leaders that are leading the church. You need to learn who they are. And, and there might be some that you have to embrace. There might be some that you have to figure out how to transition through in that area of leadership. But learn who the leaders are and then get to know them personally. Again, because of my focus on know and grow, one of the first things I, first week I was there, I met for an hour with each staff member individually. It took about three days and met with every one of them individually. Then we had a deacon's fellowship and just trying to embrace and get to know you need, before you're going to be able to cast any vision or go to the next step of in a church, you've got to build a team. You've got to build a consensus with the leaders in the church. You're not the leader because they call you pastor. You and I are only the leaders if they let us be the leaders. We have to earn that leadership. It's, not, it's, it's earned, not given. And, uh, and, and I, what I, I did, I went around and taught every adult Sunday school class in the first two months. I, wanted, I did everything I could think of to get with, on a small group setting, every person I could in the church. And, uh, and again, didn't do as well as I would like to, but, but the Lord gave us some help there. Number five. Number five. Seek counsel. Seek counsel. What, what's, what's Titus chapter number one? It's Paul, an aged man in the ministry, an experienced man teaching Titus. Seek counsel, if you can, from, from staff, from the former pastor, if that's a possibility, from longtime members, from other experienced pastors. 
admit we don't have all the answers and we need wisdom. That's why a place, a conference like this is good for us. We come and we have the opportunity, one, to hear uh, wisdom from the pulpit, but we can also talk with others. Hey, what would you do here in these sessions? What would you do there and hear what somebody else is doing there? Number six, am I too simple for you yet? Sorry, I'm not smart enough to get all that crazy. This is very simple stuff, but these are the things that we tried to do. Number six, make much of Christ. I came to a conference for pastors for him to tell me to make much of Christ. I, I think if we're honest many, many times, we don't make much of him. We make much of our wisdom, our ideas, our methods. Here's what I could do that's going to be. And, and our theme, three months there, I was just kind of learning. I, I was voted in last week of September. Our, our theme for the first year was we preach Christ. Colossians 1. I wanted to be accountable to myself and the people to know. And I, I, I must have preached and said it somewhere in a message 50 times in the almost two years I've been there. This, it's, it's about Christ. It's not about me or my opinions or my ideas or my agenda or yours or your preferences or mine. We're here to proclaim Christ to a lost. I wanted to be very clear. It wasn't about what, what ideas does Pastor Thompson have. It's about what Christ are we serving. What, what does he say in chapter 2, verse number 1? He says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll preach all kinds of things aside from Christ and him crucified. What did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We, I don't think any, any good thing that's happened at Liberty in the last two years, I don't think it's because we didn't implement a great strategy. We proclaimed a great savior. What did he say? Without me, ye can do nothing. I mean that I, I come to a place like this and I'm amazed by the administration of it, by the level of logistics, by the level of organization. It's incredible. I'll be honest, and, 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 and my position before that was administrative pastor, but any good that's happened at Liberty as, since I've been the pastor it really isn't some amazing strategy. It's not some amazing program. I really think it's because we've sought to put the emphasis and, and preach Christ on all Sunday mornings for the first 52 weeks of, of, for 52 weeks of 2016. Every Sunday morning, it was just, it was about five different series, different things that we were, but it was all about the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, what, what, what Christ wants us to be, the gospel of Christ. It was, we preach Christ. Wednesday nights, we took 19 weeks and went verse by verse through Colossians that in all things, he might have the preeminence. I wanted them to be getting the idea, this whole thing is all about lifting up Jesus. It's not about, well, this is the way I was taught in Bible college and we're going to do it this way and here's what, uh, th we're going to do this and here's what I want you to, I want you to look like me and talk like me. No, I want us to preach Christ. And so I would encourage you not only, not only uh, to do those, but to make much of Christ. Number seven, number seven, reach new people. If you're coming into an existing church, especially one that might have some size, you can spend a whole lot of time babysitting. You need new births. You don't need all babysitting. You need some people that you're the only pastor at that church they know. Now, the, the Lord's blessed us because of the work of the foundation that was laid for 39 years before I got there and the work of so many in our church, faithful staff and lay leaders. 
But, but in the first 20 months of, of our pastorate, we were able to see, and other churches would have much more than this, we were to see a, a 215 or so um, members either transfer in or baptized into the church, saved and baptized. Well, what is that? That's, and not all of them are still there. Some have moved away, and others, just like any church, they come for a while, and then they drop off. But what is that? That's 215 people that their entire experience at Liberty Baptist Church, the only pastor they know is Ryan Thompson. That's a weird thing. Pastor Tomlinson, he's still a member of our church. He's living in China right now with his missions ministry. But it was a weird thing when he came back. He had been on deputation, raising some support. He came back after about six months, and we were sitting in the gym watching our school basketball team play a game. And he pointed across the court, and he said, who's that lady standing over there by the scorer's table? And I said, oh, that's, and she was a staff member. And I thought, that's a strange thing. I've been, there's a, a man that's been here 25 years, given 25 years, and there's, there are staff people that he doesn't even know who they are. And, and there, he, when he comes, there are people in the choir now that, that they, when he walks in, they, I, I mentioned who he is, but they wouldn't know who he is. He was never their pastor. Well, what happens there, now you're building where, now you are becoming, they say it takes generally about five years into pastoring, becoming a pastor of a new church to kind of for it to be your own. But that's not going to happen if there's never new birth. If you're not reaching new people and you have to be careful again because of the business, if, if the ministry is existing, the busyness of taking care of all of the present needs. But don't spend all your time babysitting. Ask the Lord to give you some new births, if you will, within the church. Number eight, beginning a new pastorate. Number eight, give people grace and space. What do I mean by that? Give people grace and space. It's all right if they miss their former pastor. It's okay if, if you're not the greatest thing since sliced bread for them. The, the night I got voted in, we're rejoicing, praise the Lord, 99% vote, and our principal's wife is in the lobby weeping of our Christian school principal. And she's apologizing, I'm so sorry, it's not that I'm not happy. And I said, Janice, you don't have to apologize. Janice had been saved at that church 25 years earlier, and it was the only church she'd ever been in, and he was the only pastor she'd ever had. What, is she supposed to be excited? Here's this guy I don't know from Northern California, and the, the only, the man that's been there through all 25 years of my, all, all but six months of my 25 years of marriage is gone. It's okay. It's all right for them. It's not a high school dating relationship. You love him or you love me. It's okay for them to miss the man that invested in them. It's okay for them to love him, to appreciate him. Uh, there, there's an older lady been in our church for a couple decades, and she told me a few months ago, I, I, I'm not against you. I want to love you, but I don't love you yet. That's what she said. She said, I'm asking God to help me love you, but I'm neutral. I said, that's okay. You just keep coming. Stay faithful. I love you, and I'm glad that we get to serve the Lord together. God, it's all right. Everybody's going to handle these things differently. And it does. you don't have to get up and preach about, bless God, I'm the pastor of this church. The Bible says that you ought to support me. You don't need to do all that. Just love people. Help people. There, there was, when I, I came, the very first meeting at Liberty, Pastor Tomlinson flew my wife and I down to meet at his home with all the deacons and their wives and a few other key leaders, lay leaders. He hadn't even yet told the staff that, that uh, he wanted the deacons to obviously find out, do we want to present this to the church as a possible transition and see what the church thinks? And, and I'm sitting there and we're in his home and everything's going good and they're asking questions and telling testimonies and all of that. And all of a sudden, a deacon's wife who's been in our church for about 20 years, she runs out of his house weeping. Like in the middle of we're talking, she's over on this side of the living room and she just breaks down crying and runs out the front door. And I was like, it's over. 
they already announced at our home church that we're, we're, we're not, we're leaving, you know, we're, that we're, see, we're possibly going. And this, I don't have a job anymore. This, it's all going to go. These people hate me. And, and she, you know what? That lady now is one of the bigger encouragers of our family. She's one of, but just give people some space and some grace. Love them through that transition and God will bless. Number nine, some simple thoughts. Beginning in a, in a new pastorate. Number nine, highlight victories. Highlight victories. Identify where God has blessed and magnify it. Now, don't lie. There needs to be some victories. Like something good has to be happening. For us, I've sought to keep it before the people. We've had two missions conferences since I've been there, and I let them know we've been able to add uh, 40 new, and it was already a good missions church. We've been able to add 40 additional missionaries for monthly support um, and over the, because of your giving and, and, and highlight that for them. And I let them know we've paid off over $250,000 in the final construction bills on our new gym and, and in our principal. And let, and let them know and see good things that are happening and let them know we just, we had, I, I told them on Sunday night, hey, we, had, uh, we have two bus routes right now. I said we had 12 visitors on our bus routes this morning. What, what are we doing? Highlighting, vi- as I think it was, uh, where was it? Was it Brother Sisk? No, Pastor Chapel. Somebody, maybe Brother Edwards. Somebody talked about celebrating. I've heard so much stuff in the last two nights. Somebody talked about celebrating with God's people. Was that, you weren't in that session? Nobody was there. One of the sessions I was in, but we, we, we go so fast to the next thing, we don't celebrate those things. Our Christian school we, we saw in the first year it grew from 90 to about 150 and, and it doubled uh, over two years prior to that. Try to highlight those victories and we do a victory night once a year. But then I also seek to bring that up uh, somewhere every week, letting them know something that God's doing in the church. My weekly email will sometimes be, I, I remember in, in October or November maybe, I said it was the title of the weekly email was, that all happened in 60 days and we just listed Victory after victory after victory. Letting the people know our church isn't dying. That the best days of Liberty Baptist Church aren't behind us. God is still working. God is still at work here. But you have to, because people's minds will automatically go to what's different, what's missing, what they're not used to. You need to retrain and let them know. It's my, we, I might not be as good of a pastor as, as pastor or preacher or whatever. I don't have the wisdom that Pastor Thomason did. But God's not done with us. Not because of me, in spite of me, but God's doing some things here in our midst. Number 10, beginning in a, in a, in a new pastorate. Number 10, realize you aren't Superman. I'm not Pastor Tomlinson, and I don't need to be. God called him away from liberty, and God called me there. Look, to be honest, when I first came, it was a little intimidating. Here's a man with 40 years of ministry. He's planted three churches on two, in two countries. What have I done? I coached a high school basketball team. Like, I, well, There's no comparison, right? I mean... And, 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 but that's okay because it's not up to me to do it all. It's God's church. A seasoned pastor helped me. He said, Ryan, God loves this church more than you do. It's not all on you. The success of the church, you give God your best and rest in him. And you give, I actually preached a message early on. One of my first um, uh, series was on, on the church, God's plan and our part. And we took 13 weeks to look at what the New Testament local church should look like. But one of the things that I, I talked about was a prioritized pastor. And I, I told them the very beginning of the introduction was, here's a picture of what everybody I think thinks a pastor's supposed to be. And we put a picture of Superman up there. And I said, I'm going to disappoint you folks. I'm not Superman. I let them know I'm, I'm not I cannot be what Christ is supposed to be in your life. Sometimes we want the pastor to be what Christ is supposed to be. We want him to meet all our needs, comfort all our hurts, make us feel good, do all those things. 
we're looking for what we should be finding in Christ. We're looking for that in a man. Now, I have a, a job to know and to minister to and to serve and to love. And I, I seek to do all of that, but I try to let them know early on, I'm not Superman. I'm, one of, I, I'm a part of the body of Christ. We're a family that's supposed to be ministering to each other. We're not a group of people that one man is supposed to minister to every need. Letting them, because people get a different idea. There's an article a pastor had sent me back a while back. If you, they did a survey of churches, and, and, and people expect a pastor to be proficient in like eight different college degrees. Counseling and public speaking and, and language and administration and, and human resources, staff hiring, and, and these things that would take a whole lifetime of college to get. And we expect, well, the pastor should know how to do all of that and be the best ever at it. I let them know very quickly, I'm just a fallen, frail human man that God's put here trying to do my best to love you and to love him. But we're in this thing together. And, 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 but I think not only do they need to realize that you aren't Superman, but you and I as pastors, we need to realize we aren't Superman. You need to, it's God's church. It's okay, give your best and rest in Christ. If you put the pressure on yourself to do it all, one of two things is gonna, is gonna happen. You're going, to, you're going to sink in discouragement because of your failure, or you're gonna be, get lifted up in pride because of what you perceive as your success. Look at all that I, when we view that it's up to us, look at all that I did, no. Any good thing that happened, it was because of Christ. I didn't do it. I'm not Superman. Or look at all the things that I'm lacking in. I didn't do any of this. I, I, this didn't happen, and the church isn't growing like I wanted it to, and we had this issue and this problem. I'm not Superman. It's his church. Upon this rock, I will build my church, Christ said, and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against it. It's not my church. I'm an interim pastor, and so are you unless you plan for the church to close the day you leave. I'm here, I'm a steward, I've been given a short time to serve God's people, but it's, I'm not, and we've, in our circles, I think sometimes we get this idea of pastor as, as everything, pastor as hero, pastor as all of this, and it's up to him to do it all, to make it all happen. It's not up, up to us to make it all happen. It's up to us to rest in Christ, to love him, to love his people, and what he wants to do with it, that's up to him. But I think it'll help you. I know it helped me to remember when things went really well, to remember it wasn't all me. And when things didn't go as well as I wanted them to, to remember, it, I, I gave God my best. And if you don't, again, you'll burn out in discouragement or you'll get lifted up in pride. It's his church, not yours. Number 11, I've got to go quickly. Bring your family with you. First Sunday I was there, I told the church, this church can always find a new pastor. My kids can't find another dad. And that's easy to say, but it's hard to live sometimes. Bring your family with you. My wife is home with five children right now. I've got to be careful because I'm out fellowshipping. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm enjoying this conference. I'm getting all these ideas. And my wife is breaking up a fight in the trampoline in the backyard right now, probably. And cleaning up a mess with some that my two-year-old made in the, and, and my 14-year-old and 12-year-old that they didn't obey. And, and I'm here loving life. God's so good. We're going we're gonna to reach the world for Christ. And my wife's like, you're not even coming in the house right now. You know, I mean, you've got to make sure you bring your family with you. Was it Dr. Sis that just said, if I could do the one regret he has, spend more time with his children? Number 12. Things I've learned or that I've tried to remember beginning in, an early, in, a, in a new pastorate. Number 12, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This shapes everything I do. My prayer is that God would give me at least 25 years and three weeks at Liberty Baptist Church. You say, why 25 years and three weeks? Because Pastor Tomlinson stayed 25 years and two weeks. 
and I want to be the longest tenured pastor there. So I'm going to go at least one more week than him. And, and I'm asking God that he would give me, hopefully, a lifetime to serve there. It's a marathon. That changes how I interact with people. I'm not using or abusing them for some short-term gain. It changes how I treat my staff. I hope that I have several of our staff sitting in this session. I hope that we serve together for decades. Well, I'm going to treat them a little differently today if I understand. I don't, we don't have to fix that and do that and fix this and change that program and start this. And start. We don't have to do it all this week. Let's grow a little bit today. Isn't that how we grow? The Bible says we're the body of Christ. Isn't that how the physical body grows? If you have a child, you have never once woken up and said, you grew so much since yesterday. But you'll look at a picture of a year or two ago and say, I can't believe how much you've grown. How does that happen? A little bit at a time. But with church, we want it all to get fixed tomorrow. It's a marathon, not a sprint. No, we're going to try to try to work on this area a little bit this week and try to work on this area a little bit this week and reach that person here and try to love that one and go out to coffee with that one and, and get in God's word here and have take this one through discipleship and see that one get baptized. And we're going to look back a year or two from now and say, look at all that God did, but it's not going to happen overnight. That'll change how you deal with people. It'll change how you pace your personal and ministry schedule. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I don't want to have two great years at Liberty. I'm asking God to give us 25 or 30 fruit years at Liberty and that changes how I work and, and what we do. Number 13 this goes a little bit against what I said in number 3 about slow but bring energy and new life. I don't want you to get the idea of okay we're just going to go in slow and not do anything you need to bring and if you're coming into a new church or you're, you're a new pastor coming to a church bring passion bring zeal ha, not, not blowing up everything they've ever done but they need to see we're not just we're not caretakers here what has it been said in, in, in a church ministry? We, we, we ought to be risk takers, not caretakers, because if we're caretakers, pretty soon we're going to need undertakers. They ought to see a passion and a zeal and energy and new life. And again, that kind of contradicts what I said with slow, but not really. They need to know, hey, our church is going somewhere. There's something we're working toward. Number 14. I've got two more and I'm done. Show grace and respect toward your predecessor. That every situation in that is different, but even if you cannot platform your predecessor, you don't need to tear down your predecessor. The people, if they know the issues and the problems, if there were problems and they know that, you don't need to bring it to their attention all the time. Just love them. And they'll respect you for having a spirit of grace if there was an uncomfortable situation with why you're now the pastor. You don't need, but if you can show grace, you can show grace no matter what the situation is and show respect. And if you can, if the opportunity is there even uh, uh, to platform them. I asked, this, this one came from our staff. I said, talk to me about what we did right. And they said, you know what? I think the church family found a whole lot of security and our staff did as well when you embraced Pastor Tomlinson. When they could see that he loved you and he supported you and that you were not threatened and it wasn't this bitter, immature, little, little power grab that, that he truly was excited about how God was using you and you were truly excited about how God was using him, that is a beautiful picture. We're supposed to be the family of God. It's supposed to be the body of Christ. It, again, it's not high school dating. Do you like me? Check yes or no. Oh, you, I heard you like him. No, we love, we're two men that we're seeking to see God use us. God's called us to different ministries. We love, we're, we're thankful for them. And when he comes, we have him preach and things of that. If you're able to do that, but even if you're not able to do that, you can still show a Christian grace 
and respect about and find the good things that you can have. I'm so thankful for the leadership before and how we're building on that foundation that was here before we got here. And you, you'll have to figure out how you know your, your situation better than I do. But having that spirit, and then number 15, handle negatives with wisdom. I talked about a whole lot of good stuff. I didn't mention my first week as pastor. I got certified mail about a lawsuit from a construction, our, our building project in the mail the first week. And I didn't talk about how after I got an awesome 99% vote, you heard me mention that, I wanted you to know that, right? I didn't talk about how the next week, my very first Sunday, I was announcing to a large ministry in our church that their leader that had been there for 15 years was no longer there because of negative circumstances. And how about 50 of those adults left our church. And they took with them 20 or 30 of their kids and teenagers. And, and I didn't mention how we ended up with $100,000 more in unexpected bills in the first month. And the loan had already been completely, those, every, and your ministry is going to be different, but every ministry has negatives to deal with. And you know what I, looking back, I see now, those were God-given negatives because it allowed me and the people to have our hearts knit together. There are people in that ministry where that leader left. I have a relationship with those people that I never would have had because they saw me care for them through that difficulty. And I, and I saw them stay faithful through that difficulty. And so I have a love and appreciation for them I never would have had. And, and that goes both ways, vice versa. And those negatives in our church that most of our, many in our church wouldn't even know about some of those things, but those negatives allow people to see how is he going to handle not just the good times, not just the 99% vote, but how's he going to handle those things. Those hurts ended up helping. They allowed me to guide and to lead and to really become their shepherd. They, and and we, we saw the opportunities, the negatives become an opportunity for God to grow us together. And so handle negatives with wisdom. I kind of feel badly like I should have had a really awesome Bible message. Uh, they asked me to teach a, a session on beginning in a new pastorate. I only have one place to draw experience from. And so those were some of the things that we sought to do. I feel like a ton of it was very, very elementary, very basic. I told pastors, love people and preach, but hopefully the Holy Spirit would have given something that whatever your context is and whatever your situation is would be a help. I think we're supposed to be done. I'll maybe take one or two questions, and if not, I'll let us go, and if you have a question, I'll just stay here if anybody wants to come. Does anybody have one or two quick questions at all? Anything? And there might be other people that can answer answer something about that. Is there anybody? Everybody's ready to go get a nap. Peter? First, uh, The first 90 days, it's a business book. Um, not It's secular, but I think that was what it was called, the first 90 days. I read that. Um, Simple Church, Pastor Tomlinson sent me. That's really not about transition, but it really helped shape my philosophy coming in for leadership and programming and methods and things. Simple Church by Rainer. Pastor Tomlinson sent me that before I got there. Um, it's always scary to give out books because everybody has different, um, different standards on books about what you read, but I don't care what you think about me because I don't have a college, so I don't care if you send students my way or not. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but Replenish is a great book, talking about that idea of a marathon, not a sprint. That's a phenomenal book. And I know that some folks have taken heat for promoting that book. But again, that's one of the joys of only being a pastor of a little local church that you've never heard of. So those are, those are a few that come to mind right off the top of my head. Anybody else? Yes, sir.
Well, you, I know your situation a little bit. You've been there, so you know that better than I did. I didn't know that, so I didn't communicate that. I didn't know if I wanted to work with them for a long time. When I met with every single one of them, and that's just true. I mean, still not sure, but um, the, uh, the, uh, when I met with all of them, I, I, I talked to every single one, and I said, we're going to have a six-month checkup. I didn't say checkup. We're going to meet again in six months, and it's going to be a two-way out. Because they, how do they know if they want to work with me for a long time? I said, in six months, we're going to meet again, and I want you to tell me, I don't think this is going to work long term, and I want to be able to tell you. I don't think, and I'm telling you right now, if you won't seek to hurt the church, I will keep you on until we can find the right place for you. If you're telling me that you don't think you can work with me, and vice versa, if I tell you that, I'm not going to tell you you have to leave tomorrow. We'll find the right spot for you. I won't hurt your family if you don't hurt this family. And I didn't ever want to, to be on, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into that, but God moved the one that probably, that I didn't know it at the time, that probably would have been the one that I would have struggled to work with. Um, and the rest of them are all still there and we're hopefully serving together for a really long time. So that's the way I handled it because I didn't know. You would know a little better than me. You've been on staff with those guys for a while. Yes. I think I learned this from Pastor Chapel. I've heard him say this. But a couple things with hospitality. Unless you, rarely would I just have one family over. That can turn into negative conversation or a, a go to an area you really don't want to go to. Have multiple families over. They get to know more people. And then it's very simple. When you're ready to go, you just say, all right, we're so glad that you came. Let's have a word of prayer before you, we get ready to go. We're so glad you're in our church. And it means so much that you would take the time to come to our house. And you don't have to tell them it means so much that you're now leaving our house. But, but you're just, and you just kind of close it and say, let's pray together. And let's pray that God would let us see God continue to do some great things in our church. So, yeah. And turn, is, that what he does? is that what Pastor Chapel does? Turn off the lights. I think I, the prayer thing, I think I heard Pastor Chapel say. So, that's it, yeah, that's right. There you go. Yes? When you're bringing your staff, they're obviously going to be your style of your pizza place and your former staff. How does that transition? Are you looking for guys to sit down with your current staff so you know there's going to be a next chair? Or how does that work? We've done some of that. I'm not, I don't necessarily give veto power to the other staff members. I'm seeking to only bring guys in that are team players, but you can't predict how everybody's going to work together. Um, we do, I think most of the staff we've brought in, we did go out to eat at least once or twice, had them over to the house, get to have them around in the interview, getting to know people, and they're finding out, can I fit with this team? But it's really hard to know that. Everybody's putting on a good face the first during that first week. And so for me, the people I've brought on, I don't think I've hired anybody that I didn't know really well. And so it wasn't, at this point, I haven't had to hire just this Bible college graduate that I, that I met for one day. So it, for me, it was just knowing the character of the people, knowing their team players. Last one, and I'll let you guys go. What would be best helpful coming in with pastor's wives and children than a former pastor's wife and then not getting married? Mm -hmm. my, my, uh, my wife was intimidated. She had never been a pastor's wife. She was intimidated coming in behind a pastor's wife of 40 years. And I would say, again, going back to that philosophy, if you're not Superman, neither is your wife. I, I don't know if I if I said it. I think I probably did early on in that first, but let them know my, pa my my wife is not the assistant pastor here. My wife is my wife. She's here to minister to me and to care for our home. We have five children at home, and I think I made it. My wife doesn't. She 
she doesn't run all the ministries, and she doesn't run any ministry she doesn't want to. She actually doesn't run any ministry. She runs a, a, a ladies' thing each year. She works in the nursery. But she has, she has two kids at home, three in school, all in different grades. Whether anybody thinks that's unspiritual, it's a marathon, not a sprint. There's going to be a season she can do a whole lot more of that. The way my wife is made up, that's not, I'm not going to put that pressure on her. And I, I kept one of the ballots the night they voted me in just in case anybody ever, your wife doesn't do enough. Number one, she's not my assistant pastor. So if you want her to be an assistant pastor, let's find out what her salary is, right? At this point, you hired me. But, but then the ballot, the ballot is, it said, I accept the unanimous recommendation of our deacons to ask Ryan Thompson to become our pastor. And so I kept this, I've never used it, but I kept it in my Bible. One, just to remind me of the vote. But two, if anybody ever tried to give me a hard time about that, to say it in a kind way, we didn't vote my wife. My wife came with me. I was voted in as pastor. She's here to serve me. There are not biblical qualifications for a pastor's wife. And so I think that's a training thing if the church has a wrong perspective on that. I, I don't, there is no pressure. My wife doesn't have to do anything. That sounds bad, but I want her with me. I don't want to be married, have a good 17 years and a good two years. I want us together for 40, 50 years of joyful ministry. And the staff guys that are here, my wife's at everything. I mean, she's involved, but she doesn't have to do any of it as far as I didn't make her become a ladies Sunday school teacher and run the nurseries and become the orchestra leader. She's my wife. All right. If you have a question, anything else, I'd be happy to chat with you. Thanks for coming, guys. I hope it was a help. hope it wasn't a disappointment. You are dismissed.